Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. Jesus. So, if you've been us for the, for the last four weeks, yes, three weeks, four weeks, do you know what series we're in? Anyone? God Reels, that's right. So for the last four weeks, we've been in our series called God Reels. And if you're here for the first time, I'm going to give you a quick recap. And this is what we're talking about. If you don't know what a God Reel is, some of you have probably hopefully memorized it by this time. It's a simple thing. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. That's what a God Reel system is. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into off-road or dangerous areas. And guardrails are really there to do two things, to protect us and to direct us. To protect us and to direct us. And guardrails are always placed in the safety zone and not on the road. They're always placed in the zone a little bit outside the road. They're not placed in the middle of the road, as you can see. They're placed in the safety zone because they're not there to hinder your journey. They're there to keep you from going off-road into potentially a damaging situation, which could be much worse for you because as you hit a guardrail, your car might be damaged, but if you go through a guardrail, you go, if there was no guardrail there, you could potentially be in a much more dangerous situation. You could have lost your life. You could have lost something. You could have damaged someone else. Something bad could have definitely happened. So that's a quick recap. If you haven't been with us, check it out on YouTube, Facebook. All the messages are there because we're really diving deep into some of the things that Jesus has been talking about to us. And as Christ followers and as Jesus followers, we should be listening to what Jesus says. We should be following. In fact, that's what the word means. Like Jesus follower. We should be following the teachings of Jesus. So today we have a message titled, Flip the Script. Flip the Script. Turn to your neighbor and say, Flip the Script. Turn to your other neighbor and say, You too. <laughs> I think, you know, all of us, we have a fascination with social media. I don't know about you, well, I certainly do, and maybe it's a, it's a love-hate relationship, right? Social media is great. There's great aspects to social media because it keeps you connected. It keeps you connected to loved ones, especially if those loved ones are overseas. They're far away. You can catch up with friends that you might have lost along the way, you know, and help you be in contact with people. Sometimes you don't get to see on a regular basis. But the other side, the dark side of social media because that's as I said, it comes with a love-hate relationship. The dark side of social media, if you're not careful, we can get caught up into comparison and competition. So often, what we see on social media influences us. We see things that maybe other people have that we want to have, and then we didn't realize we needed this thing till we saw someone else have it or advertise on social media and we go, we definitely need that in my life right now. I can't go another day. I need it right now. So let me ask you a question. What would you own or what would you have if you didn't know what, what anyone else or what everyone else had? What would you own or what would you have if you didn't know what someone else had. 
How much influence does seeing what other people have have on your life, on your decisions? Do you ever wonder what you would want or what you would have if you didn't see what anyone else had? How much money would you have saved if you didn't know what other people spent their money on? Let's be honest. Most of us, we have things we thought we needed, but when we got it, we realized that we don't need it, and now what we thought we needed, we don't need, and so we don't need it anymore. Another way to say that is all of us have a room, a garage, a box full of stuff that we've got that we don't need. In fact, we don't even look at it. We don't even realize it's there. Sometimes we go back years later and go, oh my gosh, this is what I have? I didn't realize it. I definitely need it. I'll remember it the next time and then we forget about it again. We think we need this stuff. And so a lot of times we go out and get stuff based on what other people say, what other people have, and what we think we need, but we don't necessarily need it. Have you thought about that? So what do we do with this? More importantly, what do we do with us so we don't keep doing the same thing again? Because we don't want to accumulate stuff. I don't know about you, but I don't want more stuff. The problem is that we all know too much of what we have and what we don't have. And this information makes us dangerously discontent. The information lures us. It lures us into spending money on things we don't necessarily have or want or need. It lures us into making decisions that we don't normally make, and it entices us to run up our credit card, to spend more than we actually earn, and it forces us into decisions that we regret later financially. And we wish, most of us, we wish we could get rid of some of the stuff and, and sell it. And maybe we put it on Marketplace and sell it for a lot less than we bought it for. But some of us, we actually have so much stuff, it's causing us a problem. Because it's actually taking up space in your home, in your house, and in your life. The stuff that you thought you needed, but you don't actually need. And so, the most important thing is that we have to understand that sometimes spending is like an appetite. You know, most of us, we have an appetite, and when we eat something, we are full or we enjoy the food, but the thing about an appetite is that it always is there, because sooner or later, you're going to have to eat again. You're never eating one meal and go, that's it, I've eaten it, I'm done for the rest of my life. No, an appetite is something that constantly needs to be fed because as full as you are, as content as you are in this moment, there's going to be another moment coming later. You're in the fridge, you're looking for something else to eat later, you're ordering on Uber, whatever it may be, you're going out for dinner. The thing about an appetite is that it's never fully satisfied. And some of us, when it comes to our financial spending, when it comes to our money, we're also never really satisfied. We have stuff, but we want the next stuff. We want the new stuff, the new model, the upgraded one, the new extra version, the one that has more features. It's never enough. So today, 
I want to talk to you about some guardrails when it comes to our finances. So again, guardrails are standards of behavior that light up our conscience before we hurt ourselves or before we hurt someone else. That's the point of a guardrail, to prevent us from damaging ourselves and from damaging other people. Now Jesus, he addressed this topic on so many different occasions and he tells us what we should be doing. So as Jesus followers, we have to listen because that's what you've made a commitment to. You've decided to follow Jesus. And you've decided that whatever Jesus says that you want to actually conform to or actually follow. But for most of us, when Jesus asks us to do things, we'll say, yes, we'll come, we'll lift our hands, we'll raise our hands, we'll sing at the top of our lungs, we'll smile, we'll do all these things. But there's things that Jesus asks us that sometimes we don't want to listen to. We don't want to follow his instructions. Some of us just refuse to do it or just ignore the instructions he asks us in this area. And the whole point of following Jesus is that we've said yes to him. And then we ask him, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And, you say, and he says, well, do this. And you say, no, I don't want to do that. And we just ignore him and walk away. Which could potentially put our lives in danger. And more importantly, our hearts in danger. As a pastor, when people come with me with challenges, they want to discuss things in their life, some areas that are going off track or off road or off the cliff, some dark areas of their lives they're struggling with. In most cases, in most cases, it's related to sex and money. That directly or indirectly, it's related to those two areas in our life. And this is not a surprise because these are the two areas of Jesus' teaching and the disciples' teaching that is most disregarded. Last week we talked about sex. Go back and listen to it if you can. These are the two areas, sex and money, where people go, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to that. What the New Testament teaches about sex and money we want to ignore and not put into our lives. So that's why we're talking about it today. And that's why it's so important because there's something inside of you that goes, I just want to, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to hear that. I just want to ignore that because I'll follow everything else. But when it comes to these two areas, I'm just not going to follow. Because the word on the street is, to be honest, the church is against sex and the church just wants your money. That's our general reputation, right, isn't it? So last week we talked about sex. Again, go back and listen to it. And today we're talking about money. And any church that's embracing the teachings of Jesus or following the teaching wants something for you. And God doesn't need your money and he doesn't want your money, but he wants something for you when it relates to money. And it's real quiet in here, right? Because it gets us anxious. Jesus wants something for you when it relates to money. And any good church, well, they want something for you when it relates to money. Not just your money. So this is about something 
much better than just good financial advice. You can go get financial advice from somewhere. You can sit down with a financial advisor and they can tell you how to manage your money and stay out of being bankrupt and all those things. That's great, but this is something that's much better than that because you can be completely financially sound. You can completely be out of debt. You could have lots of money in the bank with no problems. You could pay all your bills and still be in a ditch financially. And according to Jesus... You can have all your financials good and still run your car off the road and into a ditch. This is what he's talking about. Because when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to his conversation about money, he goes to the heart of the matter. And that's why it's so important. So this is what Jesus says. He starts off this way. He's talking to his followers and he says this. No one can have or serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. And to which most of us goes, really, what does that even mean? I don't have a master. I don't serve anyone. What does that mean? I don't even have one master. But Jesus is smart. He's actually drawing us into the conversation because he's bringing us to this point of discussion to pick our understanding. So he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. When you say, what are you really talking about, Jesus? What does this devoted and despised thing really mean? What is this master thing you're talking about? We don't actually understand that word master. We miss it in our modern context because we don't have a master in our life or we don't serve anyone. In our culture, we miss this because we don't use that word. And we often think that word means boss, but it doesn't actually mean boss. That's not what he's talking about. That word master is more related to ownership and possession. Ownership and possession. Because Jesus is saying, in fact, you cannot be owned or possessed but by one thing. You cannot be owned or possessed except by one thing. In other words, you can only be owned or possessed by one person or one entity. Again, this is hard for us to understand because no one owns anyone in our world. And besides, Jesus, what are you really talking about? Now look again carefully to what Jesus says, and this is what is so amazing. He does not say you can either serve God or the devil. We'd expect him to say that because you choose God or you choose the enemy. But that's not what he's actually saying. He's saying you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God and money because you'll love the one and hate the other You'll be devoted to one or despise the other one. You cannot serve God in money. Or the other word is wealth or stuff. You can't serve both. You can't be owned by both. You, you can't be possessed by both. So this is very important. And especially if you're a Christ follower. And if you're not a Christ follower, I'll be concerned for you. But here's what Jesus is saying. The primary issue when it comes to money, when it comes to Jesus, is not the money but the mastery, the control, or the ownership. That's what he's saying. 
It's not the money, but it's the mastery, the control, and the ownership. So the question he's really asking us as a Jesus follower, and even if you're not, you need to consider his words, do we own money or does money own us? Do we have money or does money have us? Do we possess and use it or does money possess and use us? That's what he's really saying. And that's why Jesus talks to us about that. That's why as Jesus followers, we need to have guardrails in our financial area when it comes to money. Because here's what is so important. Money is the chief competitor for your heart. Not the enemy. Money is the chief competitor for your heart other than God. Your heart, your heart, your heart, your heart, and my heart. Money is the chief competitor. Money and what money promises is the number one competitor for ownership over my heart with God. Because you see, what money promises is what God promises. Then when it comes down to it, we make the decision to either trust God or trust money. And that's why money is the chief competitor when it comes to our heart. You know this. You felt it. You know what I'm talking about is right. Because you feel that internal pull right now. You're uncomfortable. You're nervous. You're sitting there thinking, what is he talking about? I don't want to hear it. Because money is pulling you in a certain direction. And I'm trying to reorient your life into what Jesus is asking you to think about. You feel it in you, right? And without guardrails, you may never lack money. You may never be financially bankrupt. You may never be in debt. And all your loans could be paid off. But Jesus' point is, without guardrails, you're going to go off a cliff into consumption or consuming, or you're going to slam up against a wall of holding. We're going to consume Desire, 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 consume more, 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 more stuff. We want more stuff, the upgraded stuff, the new stuff, the important stuff. We want this, we want this. Or we're going to the other stuff where we say, we don't have enough. I need to save for my future. I need to think about it. I'm going to save. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hold. I'm going to go. I'm going to hold. Do I have enough? We go in either direction. But the root cause of consuming and holding, the root cause of both of these things is the same thing. And we don't like to look in the mirror and see it in ourselves. We don't want to see it in ourselves. We think it's a different thing. It's a distant thing. But it's the same word. And the word is greed. Whether you're consuming or hoarding, it comes down to greed. And when we think about greed, we think it's excess. We think, oh, we want so much more. We want more of this and more of that, and I have enough. That's not what actually greed means. Let me tell you what greed actually means. Greed is the assumption that it's all for me. That's what greed is. Greed is the assumption that it's all for me. Greed is not some guy like Scrooge McDuck sitting in a corner, dumping all money, swimming in his money, counting all his money. It's not like Scrooge saving money and not spending it. That's not what greed is. Greed is the assumption that it's all for me. 
It's an assumption that when it comes to me, when someone gives it to me, it's for me. That the money comes into my bank card, it's for me. The money comes from into my bank account, that is for me. The money comes from an inheritance, that is for me. If I win the lottery, and what are the odds of that? It must be God's will, that is for me. It's all for me. And that's the assumption. Greed is, it's all for me. And if I choose by some act of compassion that sometimes bubbles up in me and bubbles up in me, and if I'm especially generous, and if I'm especially compassionate, then out of the generosity of my heart, I'll choose to give. And I hope that when I do give, that God is watching because I'm going to give in slow motion so he knows I'm giving it in case he's distracted. So when it comes to passing around the bucket, we pass it really fast when we don't want to. And then when we have to put something in, we do it really slow so we can make sure that everyone around us knows what we're doing. Real quiet, right? It's assumption, it's all for me. So it's spent on consuming or it's save and spend later in hoarding. But either way, it's for me. And the stuff I want to spend on and the stuff that I want, because it's all for me. So when you live this way, you're actually living as if there's no God. When you're living this way, you're living as if God does not exist and cannot provide. When you're living this way, you're saying it's all about me and my desire. When you're living this way, you're saying all that, to his, that the life is, is about this, and that's it. And just before Jesus says what I read you about serving two masters, he says this profound thought. And I want you to listen to it carefully. He says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because it's your treasure. It's what's important to you. It's what you treasure the most. It's what you care about the most. There your heart will be as well. And you can say that you love God, and you can say that you serve Him, and you can say all these things, but if your treasure is touched, and that's why some of you are nervous right now, because I'm touching your treasure, it doesn't feel so good, because that's where your heart is. But if there's something in you that says, there must be more to life than just existing, there must be more to life than just standing and just existing and accumulating stuff and possession of stuff. There must be more to this than this. There must be something beyond this. Because when we're living with accumulation of stuff, it's just about me. And most people that live this way eventually end up in this situation and something strange happens. You know this. Trouble comes. Maybe you made some bad decisions, you made some horrible decisions, you bought too much clothes, you bought too much car, you bought too much house, your loan's adding up, you can't pay it, you're getting into debt, you're getting into bankruptcy, you're getting stressed. And even if it wasn't you, maybe someone else caused something to you. Maybe someone 
took advantage of you, stole your money, ran off with your funds. But whatever the situation is, you're now in trouble. And you know what most people do, even if they don't believe in God, even if they don't acknowledge Jesus, even if they don't believe in Jesus, you know what most people do? They pray. They say something like this, oh God, I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. I need your help. Even if you're there, I'm not sure if you're there, but I need help. I have my rabbit's foot. I have my little star. I have my sage. And I wave it around. What we're saying is we want his attention. We pray. Even if you're not sure there's a God, even if you're not sure that he exists and don't know what to do, here's a question I have for you. Here's what a prayer related to financial crisis is. This is what it is. This is what you're actually saying. Dear God, I would like to invite you into my finances because I have a problem. Help me now that I'm desperate because I've messed it up. Help me now. This is an invitation for God to be involved in your finances. When you need a job, when you need a loan, when you need mercy, when you feel like you're running out of time, whatever it is, it's an invitation to God to come in because you're acknowledging, I might have chosen the wrong master. I chose the wrong master. I chose money instead of you. Here's my question. If you are a Jesus follower, if you think when you run into a problem, you could pray and invite God in, why don't you invite him now when there is no problem? Why don't you bring him now? Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you invite him in to be the master now before there's a problem? Because you know that when it gets out of hand, when it gets out of control, when you're going off a cliff, when you're slamming into a wall, you're going to ask. The guardrails here, and really there's only one guardrail, the way you set yourself up for success in your life, and this is the most important thing, the way you align your heart with His. It's the way you align your heart with His. It's the way you set your heart up to be in the right position. And it's by reprioritizing. I'm going to show you what Jesus says in a minute. But for most of us, including Christ followers, including people that say they're Christian, we live like this. This is what it looks like to be mastered by money. This is how you live when money is your master. You live, you save, and you give. We live, we save, and we give. I do what I want with what I get. I spend it on what I want. I spend it on the things that I need. I spend it on what I require, what I think I need. I just want more stuff. And then, I might save a little, because if I'm going on a holiday, or I want a new car, or I'm getting married, or I'm going to this vacation or holiday, then I'm going to save a little bit more. 
And then, if I'm especially generous, if there's a tsunami, if people are in a flood-stricken area, and maybe if I'm generous, I'll give. That's how most of us live. So I'm going to live, I'm going to save, and then I'm good. So it's me first, it's me second, and then everybody else, and what God does to the church, third, if I'm generous. And when you live this way, you're being mastered by money. Because you're living based on what money does for you. You're living as if there's not a God out there that loves and cares for you. You're living like there's nothing more to life than now. You're living if God has no interest in you or your finances. And you're relegating God to a corner that says, you stay in the corner, and when I need you, I'll call you. That's what being mastered by money is. And to be honest, this is how most of us live. But Jesus comes along and he says something else. You want me to be the master of your life, You have to live and see the world through my values. If you really want to be a follower of Jesus and follow what he says, and it's not just a Sunday thing for you and you show up and lift your hands and open up your mouth and think you're pleasing him, if you want to live the way he asks you to live, then you're going to have to flip the script. And this is how you master money. This is how you master money. You give, you save, and you live. You give first, you save second, and you live on the rest. You do this, and you will see what God does in your life. You will see what God does in your heart. And this works, telling you it works, because it changes your life and it's changed my life. And this actually comes from Jesus. When we talk money, everybody gets a bit nervous. And we should get nervous because it's your life at stake. There's a war that happens in our heart when we talk about God and money. And Jesus acknowledged that. He said, you can't serve two. One is the only one you can serve. This or this. You can't choose both. Yeah. It's fighting in you right now, and that's why you're quiet. Because you know what I'm saying is right, but you just feel the tug to be pulled in the other direction. So ask yourself a question. Why do you feel so nervous? We can listen to what Jesus says And other times, and feel great, you're blessed, you're encouraged, you're going to be amazing, lovely stuff, amazing stuff, true stuff, but we don't feel that tension we're feeling now. Why is that? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And someone, when someone touches your treasure, you get nervous. So the question is, what is your treasure? Is it him 
or is it money? Who is master of your life? I decided a long time ago, who was master of my life? That as soon as I get paid, as soon as money comes into my account, the first thing I did, the very first thing, before I buy my stuff, before I buy my food, before I pay my bills, before I pay anything, the very first thing, I don't even wait till Sunday, the very first thing I do is to honor him. Because he's first. He's first. You honor God first. I remember though, when I was an early Christ follower and people taught you this and said, you know, you need to do this and you struggle. It's not something natural because it's a war, it's a fight. It's not something that comes instinctively to you. And it's hard because you're thinking, you know what, I'm struggling, I have bills and at that point I was living from paycheck to paycheck. Some of you know what this means. As soon as you pay, you pay all the stuff and then you're waiting for the next paycheck. And then it comes along and then you spend it on what you want. And I'm thinking, if I have to give... I won't even have enough left because I'm already struggling. I'm already feeling the pinch. I'm already feeling like at my wit's end. I have problems. But I decided that I genuinely wanted to follow Jesus. And I genuinely wanted to do what he asked me to do. Because I know there's value in following what he says. Because he's never led me wrong before. So I had to make a decision, a hard decision, to do what he asked me to do. And as soon as I did that, things began to change. See, you want to hold on to what you have tightly because you're thinking, it's for me. I have to take care of myself. I have to provide this. I have to take care of this. I have to do things. But here's what you do to break out of that mastery by money and be mastered your money. You give, you save. And you live. So I want you to imagine you had three jaws. You don't have to have literal jaws. Imagine you had three jaws. You give first, you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on the rest. So why am I saying this? Because I want the church to get your money? No. Something amazing happened when I started to do this. And a few things, in fact, happened. My heart began to change. And I saw how I viewed money change. I was not being mastered by money anymore. And somehow, somehow amazingly, I was not running out of money. I don't know how to explain this, and I can't explain it in a way that you can understand, but something supernatural happened, that when you honor God first, you actually end up with more than you actually have. And you can speak to people who do this and they'll testify to you and explain it to you over and over. Anytime you honor God first, something happens and I can't give you a scientific explanation because it's not scientific, it's supernatural. You know, when I first started, I decided to test it. I said, you know what, I'm going to test this. Maybe it's just a coincidence that I have a little bit extra. And so I stopped. I stopped for a month. And sure enough, things went back the same way. Same problems. And so from that day, I decided not to be led, led astray by money and do what money promises, but to live for God and what God promises. And through the years, I've never lacked for anything. 
I've never had situations where I'm desperate or running out of things. That doesn't mean I have a, a, a massive house or a massive car or have like a massive savings, but I've never lacked for anything. Even when I didn't have a job, all my bills were paid and I never lacked anything because I honored God first. And this is the key to financial independence. And I've sat with people and they say, I can't afford to tithe, I can't afford to give. Let me tell you, you can't afford not to. Because it's who's master of your life. People who live like this, where money equals stuff, they live like there's no God. And here's the thing. No matter what you have or how much you have, you will always be discontent because the accumulation of stuff is an appetite and an appetite can never be satisfied. And let me tell you, I've done funerals and when people pass away, all their stuff is left behind and that says a life of stuff. And you know what their kids do? They don't collect their stuff and go, oh, this is great. They might keep a watch, a bracelet, some family photos, but the rest of the stuff that they had is either given away, thrown away, or sold away. All the stuff that was accumulated in a lifetime is just got rid of. That's what a life of stuff does. Because you think it will be satisfy you, but it never does. We will run out of time before we run out of stuff. Stuff does not make your life more important. A lifetime of stuff does not make you more fulfilled. And if it means, if you mean your life, and if you, it means you lived your life like stuff was important, and it's not. Your life is your time. Your stuff is just your stuff. What would you live like if stuff was just stuff? What would you live like if stuff was not your master? Do you know what you live like? Do you know what you do? A lifetime of accumulation of stuff relegates God to emergencies. You stay in the corner and come out when I want you. But I want God in every single area of my life, including my finances. And here's the crux of the matter. This is what it all comes down to. This is the whole thing. Money is the number one competitor for your heart. It always comes down to God and money who you choose. And I don't want stuff to be the master of your life. God does not want stuff to be the master of your life. God wants something more for you. He wants to live, you to live independently of mastery by money. You can have all the stuff, but does the stuff have you? Most of us have stuff that we're working for. It's sitting in our home, but you're going out and you're working for it. You're paying for it. You're working for it. It doesn't work for you. So this is what it looks like to be independent. What Jesus is telling us, how to be not mastered by money. You give, you save, and you live. 
You give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on the 80%. It's simple, 10-10-80 principle. Because Jesus does not want you to be a slave to money, not to have money master you. So in the light of all that, this is what he says. And I want you to pay attention because I know it's hard for you to understand this and listen to this because it touches areas that we don't want to touch. But this is what Jesus says. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? See, they lived in a time where there was no refrigeration and all they could keep was grain and wine. And so the natural thing at that time is, what are we going to eat? What are we going to provide with? What are we going to do? We live in a time where we have abundance, but yet we still worry about the very same thing. And Jesus says, don't worry about that stuff. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will wear, what you will drink. Here's what you're going to do when you worry, worry, worry. You actually close your hands and you close your heart. Because you're worrying about life. You're worrying like God does not exist or God does not care. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you cannot live life with closed hands and closed heart. And then he continues. He says this, for the pagans run after these things. And for understanding what a pagan is, a pagan in the first century was anyone who believed in gods existed because they were the plural. You know, those gods like the Greek gods, the fabled gods of old, they were not Jewish. And so they fabricated all these gods. And in order for these gods that to pay attention to them, they had to be manipulated, they had to be pleased, they had to be cajoled, they had to be coerced into doing something. And so these gods didn't care about humanity. These gods could care less about human beings. So these pagans were constantly trying to bribe their gods to do something for them. And they would do all kinds of things, including sacrifice their children to these gods. And so what Jesus is saying, don't live like the pagans because you have a God that cares for you. Don't live like them, that you constantly think that God doesn't care about you. And worry, worry, worry. Don't live like the pagans. They live like they have a God that does not care for them. And then he says this, for the pagans run after these things. But your heavenly Father knows you have need of them. God cares for you. He knows what you need. He knows what you worry about. So don't be stressed. If your heavenly father knows what you need and cares for you, do you need to worry? If your heavenly father knows what you require in your life, do you have to be stressed? And Jesus says, no, you don't have to worry. And the moment, get this, it's so important, the moment you get this, the moment you get this in your life that you don't have to worry, you actually begin to live life with your hands open and your heart open. Because you don't have to think about me when God has you in mind. And so he says this, but, he continues, but. Jesus says, but, but. But instead of holding and living and consuming just consuming and consuming and consuming, instead of just accumulating stuff, instead of just, just gathering it all together, get out your notebooks and write this down. Here is what he says. This is how you're supposed to live. But seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be given to you. Seek first. Prioritize. Put first. Rearrange. Reorder. Rethink whatever you have to do. But acknowledge his kingdom first. And we don't understand kingdom because again, we don't live in a kingdom. But what Jesus is talking about is saying, I want you to seek my will first. His kingdom and his values. And if you're going to follow me, I am a king of others and a kingdom of others. That's what he's trying to say. If you're going to follow me, I'm an others first king and I'm a kingdom for others first. And his righteousness, which basically means what God says is the right thing to do. What's right? And Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And the most famous verse in all the scripture, John 3, 16, says this. God so loved the world that he gave. You know this. And so Jesus is saying, I didn't come to take. I didn't come to possess. I came to give because that's what my kingdom is. So I didn't just come and say this. I lived this. I demonstrated it. This is what Jesus is saying. I went to the cross to demonstrate how much I'm willing to give. I'm even willing to give my life for you. This is what Jesus taught. Others first. The kingdom of God operates in this way. Others first, me second. This is the correct order of things. This is how we should live. This is how you live if you're not mastered by stuff and money. And one day, the disciples, probably like you guys, are struggling to get this and put it into your hearts. He says this. He gathers the disciples together and he said this. Jesus called them together and said, You know that these, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, this is how the world works. People think that accumulation of money gives them power. And then when they have it, they want to rule other people. This is how it works. This is the world you live in. You think this is what happens when people are mastered by money. But he says, you want to be part of my kingdom? You want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? You want to say you're a Jesus follower? Well, this is how you live. And he says this, not so with you. This is how they live, but not so with you. If you want to be my follower, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. You should give others first. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was willing to give everything, including his life on a cruel cross for you. Because he's the other's king first. And he says, if you truly want to follow me, if you want to live like your life is not mastered by stuff and money, you live on the way I'm telling you because this is what sets you free. This is what releases you from being dependent on stuff. This is how you follow me truly. So when you put his kingdom first, and what he's doing through the church, you put God first in your finances and what he's doing in the world, 
You're saying, God, you are first and a priority for me. And this is the way that you can make sure that you're not mastered by money. This is how you flip the script. When Jesus gave, he changed the world. And when you give, you can change your world. Give, save, and live. That's how Jesus asked us to live and to actually be free and not be controlled and mastered by money. And ultimately, like we've done through this whole series, these are the God reels. These are the suggestions. Whether you do it or not is not up to Jesus, not up to God, and not up to me. It's all up to you. It's who you choose to be master of your life. So I want to leave you with two questions, and then we're done. I know this has been rough, and the seat probably felt extra hot. <laughs> Hotter than normal. Because again, Jesus acknowledges it. He says, where your treasures, there your heart will be. So number one, how can you start to reprioritize your financial life? Where do you start? And if this is hard for you to understand, because again, I can testify and say this. When I first heard it, it was a struggle for me to understand and to apply in my life. But I wanted my heart to belong to Christ. So, remember, money is the chief competitor for your heart other than God. Because money says, I can provide you everything that God can. But it can't. It's a lie. No man can serve two masters. So if you've never done this before, where I'm suggesting to you give, save, and live, you've never done it in your life, and you find it hard, 10%, that's a lot. Start with two and work your way up. Start small, but be consistent and honor God first. It's not what you do on Sunday when you come, after you've taken care of your bills, after you've taken care. To honor God, it has to come first. It's not just the act of doing it because, see, giving is not a test of your finances. It's a test of your heart. It's who is first in your heart, not your finances. And that's why Jesus says it's so important, because it's a war for your heart, not your wallet. Who do you put first? And remember, this is not what Jesus is saying, I want from you. It's what he wants for you, to let you live free and independent, not being controlled by money not being mastered by money. So how can you start? Have a conversation, talk to someone, talk to your spouse, whatever it may be, make a decision. Number two, pray and ask yourself, who is really the master of your life? You can say it's Jesus. You can tell everyone it's Jesus. You can even tell yourself it's Jesus. But I'll tell you how a surefire way of testing whether he is master of your life. It's what you take care of first. What you give to first. If you give it to the bank and your mortgage, that's who you honor first. If you give it to your house, that's who you honor first. If you give it to your kids, that's who you honor first. If you take care of your bills, that's who you honor first. 
You can say as much as you want that I put God first and I love him and serve him and honor him first. But when it comes down to it, you know what's first. So ask yourself, who is really master of your life? Who do you serve first? Who do you take care of first? What is the first thing you do when you get paid or money comes into your account? Who do you put first? Are we really, really following Jesus completely? So, are you uncomfortable enough? Are you nervous enough? If you're mad enough, maybe you can send me an email. Tell me how you don't agree with it. But it's not me, it's what Jesus says. And he gives you a choice. He really gives you a choice. It's who you choose to be, who you want to be, who you choose for your life, what you want to choose over your life. He doesn't force you. He doesn't boss you. We don't come around the stick and beat you. None of that stuff happens. But it's your heart and how you live that will have a transformation. If you live with your hands closed and your heart closed, or you live with your hands open and your heart open like he does, because you understand that he pours into your life and you become this generous person because you're giving as he gives you, and it becomes a cycle. But when you close, you actually stop the flow of blessing, not just in your life, but in lives around you. So let's pray, let's stand because I've made you uncomfortable enough today. But if you want to be mastered by money, you live like 90% of the world lives. Me first, me second, everybody else, and God third, maybe. But if you want to follow Jesus, Live the way he tells you because it's going to set you free. So wherever you are, if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with this whole concept, you're struggling with how this actually means or what it means in your life, see me, come talk to me, see one of our leaders. We'll be able to explain it to you, hopefully, in a way more than I did today. Wherever you are, let's pray together. Let's pray for God to open up our heart, our understanding, and let us be a people of generosity to be like him in every single aspect. Be a God who gave. So be people who give. Hello again. And thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this sharing this on social media like facebook really does help others also get this free content i'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us have an amazing day